Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Hello and welcome to Here's Where It Went Wrong, the podcast where every week we have on one of our favorite comedians to talk about one of their favorite things and we trace its history to find out where exactly it all went off the rails because we are killjoys like that. I'm joined as always by my co-host Andrew Nadeau. Andrew, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great. This was such a fun episode. I loved this so much. We had on Brandon T. Snyder today, and he is fantastic. Brandon, his his resume is deep too. He actually has a book uh, coming out, Rube Goldberg and His Amazing Machines, which we're very much looking forward to. But he's written for Avengers Infinity War, The Cosmic Quest, and most importantly, because we asked him on today and he wanted to talk about Justice League. He's written Justice League. He has written multiple Justice League books, and we got to have him in today and talk about the entire Justice League history, and then, of course, finally, where it went wrong, which we really got into, because we thankfully all agreed on that one. Yeah, this is going to be a longer episode, but you got me the chance. I love being the nerd in the episode. I love the opportunity to just completely... It was... And, like, I'm on a roll right now. I got to talk about Xenomorphs a few weeks ago. Yeah, kill <laughs> like, it. I'm just... I'm doing a great job. Also, we need to start having video of this, because every time when does the history it's just me sitting here smiling the entire time i love the level of excitement when when gets into deep history over this stuff and it, it was great there was a lot here and it was a fun one to get into yeah so let's dive right in Brandon, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm I'm so excited that you agreed to come on. I've really loved your work. I followed you on Twitter for a while now, and now you're here. This is great. I'm so sorry. I'm so no, sorry. I say I thought <laughs> I had been following Brandon on Twitter when you told me, and I realized today I have been following the wrong Brandon Snyder. <laughs> I was like, oh, this guy doesn't seem that funny. And then I went through your stuff today. Was it the photographer or the real estate agent? I have no idea. It was someone I followed who was just (laughs) not at all involved. I don't know how he did it, but either way, I've been following you today and very much enjoying it. So (laughs) thank you so much for coming on. Well, listen, I got to tell you, like I Twitter... It's not my favorite place. I I, yeah. I it's a, I just have a love hate relationship. I used to try a lot harder to be funny. Like the person, the whole reason that I'm on Twitter is because of Amy Schumer. Years ago, when Twitter began, Amy Schumer was like, "You should join Twitter," and I was like, "I really don't want to." And she's like, "Nine to 2009." And I was yeah. like, "I really don't want to." She's like, "But it's a great way to like write jokes because you have this limited space and you're trying." And I was like, "Um, okay." And then I joined, and then it became like I tried for a while to like make it funny, yeah. like. I put put effort into it. And and again, like this is 
before Twitter was even like a thing. It was like just a website that people were talking about, but it wasn't like Twitter, a place where everyone melts down or whatever. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> and I, I found things to like, but then eventually I was like, oh, I just don't have the energy for it. And some people can just crank out jokes and be so funny. And, and I'm just like, I sometimes log on and I'm like, oh God, I just, I'm here to <laughs> tell you that I did a thing and now I got to get out. Um, Performance <laughs> anxiety. Right. I, like, I also like, there's this thing of like the way that people speak to their audiences that I'm fascinated with. I, I feel like I have, you know, I have this following, but I, I got it from working on this one Marvel book. And then after that, none of those people interacted with me. So I'm really, if I was like really gauging my audience, it's maybe like a hundred people, all of whom I like kind of know. <laughs> and so I just wish I could just take those people and then we'll start our own thing. But you know. That's Clubhouse. You want to start a Clubhouse? I gonna, yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. I did a Clubhouse thing a while back and it was very exciting. But there's also the voyeuristic thing with Clubhouse where I'm like, anytime like I can see people exit and enter where I'm like, where did that guy go? Where did, right. uh, well, uh, he didn't. What's the thing that lost? Yeah. yeah. Was it me? It was me. It was clearly me. I got tape back from a show I, I did a while ago, just from a different angle. Someone said, oh, I did this too, you know, if, if you want to see it. And it was something I didn't notice at all, but there was someone that leaves during my set. And the instant anxiety, like this was a good set. This was tape I'd had kept in general, but just that playback in your head, like, oh, okay. So now I have to rethink every joke that happened around this exit. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, there was a time when I like did stand up. I would not consider myself a stand up, but I did do stand up from time to time, like maybe a couple of times a year, a handful of times a year. But the less that I have done in that realm, the less pressure I have to be funny in that medium. Sure. So I just, I'm like, oh, let me just exist without trying to put effort into it. And then, yeah, so, which people want jokes, people want funny. There's also the thing of like, I want people to pay for this. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm not going to give you my best material for free. Are you crazy? Andrew writes like 13 great jokes every single day that always do gangbusters. And like, it, it always blows me away because I'm just like, how? <laughs> How? How are you doing this consistently? I just go to Andrew. I'm just like, what's the phrasing that's actually funny here? I'm not a- <laughs> nearly as good at Twitter as Andrew. I'm just, I'm all, I'm playing second fiddle. I'm doing my absolute best. But like the way your brain works, it's beyond me. And I love it. Well, th- thank you so much. I always appreciate hearing because it, it is so easy to get so down on yourself because the number of bombs I have on Twitter outweighs anything else. But yeah, I mean, when I started, I was doing 10 to 20 jokes a day, every day. And it was... By three years in, I think I had over 10,000 jokes and it was just an insane pace. It's not sustainable. Yeah. (laughs) But the problem was that then this became my job and my girlfriend said, you have to find a hobby. And I said, this was my hobby. Said, no, now this is work. (laughs) You know, you need something, something else because now this is stressful. And it was a very weird shift and it was still not something I get. It's like, no, I do this for fun too. But also sometimes they pay me. And also I feel bad when I do it and don't get paid for it. (laughs) I made the ingenious choice of hopping on comedy Twitter two years after people stopped getting hired from doing things on comedy Twitter. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I found out about it. It's like all of you people got like writer's jobs on late night and like, yeah, it's like, okay, when? It was like, yeah, literally the last hire was well before you got on here. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I I, I do find it interesting that there have been people that I used to follow that were funny and then they just transitioned to promotion. And some of the funniest people have 
like left Twitter. Like I do have a, a note on my phone that is like jokes that I wrote, but I will never, because they, they just are not, also tone wise, like I feel like I can't tell some of the jokes that I want to tell because they just don't jibe with whatever the people that follow me might think of me. Of course. I'll, I'll give you um, one in particular that I, that, <laughs> that I've never tweeted, but I'm like, because it's harsh. And wonder what Anna Nicole would be about to die from if she were still alive <laughs> which is cold it's hard it's it's funny but yeah it's very but harsh. you're right the backlash and is gonna be there I was like, and that you know because the thing with twitter too is that like you can't really do abstract you know if you establish a persona or whatever you can't tell a sort of abstract joke because uh, it won't be received well so that was one where i was like yeah i i can never tell this neither of you can take it and if you're listening to this podcast if this makes it to air you cannot take that joke because one day when i'm trying to burn down everything around me i'm yeah. going to tell that joke <laughs> and lose it all well it's, I mean, you're right. The risk, by the way, I, I mentioned how many I wrote a day. Like, you know, one of those was good. You you put a lot out there and that, that decision-making process of like, okay, is this, is this worth it? It's, I know this is funny, but what's the response going to be? Engaging an audience you can't see is a very weird mental process. Yeah. Especially when you have something where it's like, okay, this is, this is good. I know this is good. And then nothing happens. Uh, it's, it's yeah. a very weird experience. I've gone out of my way to not craft a persona at all. So I just throw everything out there that's in my brain yeah and that's why i do not have a big audience like they're just like we don't know what this guy one day he's doing comic books the next day he's doing sports some days he's mean and sometimes he's weirdly earnest i don't i can't get a read on him i feel like when is the hbo of twitter where like you don't know what's going to come next but you feel like you have to stick around because it's going to be something that you didn't see coming i've never yeah. seen angry you i feel like i've only seen supportive you and funny you i usually try to do the supportive thing there's a lot of times where i've just tweeted like kind of like mean or like i'll do some i'll do like a few jokes where i'm just like oh, okay like I've, I've deleted a lot of the mean stuff i never direct it at people it's mostly just like general just angry like things like that but uh then i'll think about it for about 20 minutes two or three days see that i got no engagement because people are like isn't the night is the nice guy being mean today yeah. and, then, <laughs> and then i'll delete it i i also think about like how i used to think of twitter i was like i'm not gonna follow anyone Same. and then that yeah. became i'm only gonna follow a hundred people and then it was like i'm never gonna like anything because i don't want all of that and for the longest time like i didn't do any of those things as far as liking goes i only started liking people's tweets like maybe i don't know but not it was like not that long ago, maybe like four years ago. Cause I was like, I don't need, I don't need to be connected to so many con so much content. Like, and I don't need people like going through my likes and being like, what was he doing last night? <laughs> <laughs> right. That's why I don't like a lot of, like, I appreciate, I, I, I want to support people's selfies, but I don't like a lot of people. So like, do you know what I mean? Like some people it's like all pictures of other people. I'm like, I, anyway, but my point being that like, I follow like 900, I felt no, almost, almost a thousand people and that's like 500 people too many like i can't <laughs> see i used to be like i want to be able to see everything that the people that i follow post and now i'm like i don't know i can't it's too I'm many i'm going to log on later and find out you unfollowed me immediately after this podcast. <laughs> yeah. this, I would this never. is all just a lead up to I let us down never. easy how dare you how dare you but you wanted to speak about the justice league today i did i did this is great because this is one of my favorite topics because it's not only talking about superheroes stuff it's talking about a bunch of superheroes at once 
Yes. La Liga de Justica, as they say in Espanol. <laughs> <laughs> we should clarify here that it's not the movie, too, because I feel like people are expecting us to do yeah, a no, Snyder no, no, Cut no, no, episode. No, no, no. And we're no, not no, going to no. do that. We, we don't pander to our audience. No, no. Screw you. If you wanted to talk about one of the biggest social media like projects of the past decade, we're not right? doing that. We're no. going to talk about <laughs> right? a story most of you have never heard of. But we will yeah. probably mention the movie in passing if you're here for the movie because we love those sweet, sweet clicks and listens, baby. Yeah, so please stick around, guys. It's going to be good. <laughs> so first off, let's start off. The first iteration of the Justice League was not the Justice League. In 1940, 41, we had the Justice Society of America that appeared in All-Star Comics number three. And that team was Dr. Fate, Our Man, Spectre, Sandman, Adam. I'm going to go through all these really quickly. Flash, Green Lantern, Hawkman, Hawkgirl, Johnny Thunder, Thunderbolt, Wildcat, the Star-Spangled Kid, Stripe, but that's a, that's an acronym, Dr. Midnight, Starman, Mr. Terrific, Black Canary, Red Tornado, Batman, Superman. It says Wonder Woman, but that's not true. Robin and Huntress. We'll get into why the Wonder Woman part wasn't true at all, but this was like the first team up ever of superheroes was the Justice Society also, of America. for the first team up ever, that's a really big team. Like four to five people would also be a team, but they're like, no, if we're going to do this, we're going all in. Like 27 people right off the bat. It's a society. Yeah. It's a whole society. <laughs> it's it's a whole an exclusive society. club. It's, it's like a yeah. lot of people could be members. The first right. issue was literally them doing backstories for every single person on the team. It was literally like, who are these guys? Well, you're about to find out. But not only that, but I believe like they were actually pulling characters from not only DC, but one of the smaller publishers at the time, like gave some of their characters. So it was also the first inner comics crossover ever done. Which is which very cool. Cool, right? The Justice Society, I mean, I, you know, it, they they set the they set the tone. They were the first ones doing justice. They were no one else was into justice before that. Yeah, they didn't mess around with that name either. They they're just like straight in. What are we about? Justice. Yeah. What are we society all right guys put that on the on the board that's up so they appeared in number three and then in all-star comics number eight they introduced wonder woman or as she would be known by the team their secretary god so insulting like you gave her she's wonder woman like it's not like they just called her like debbie or something they made her a superhero and still made her a secretary but she loves to take notes and that's the thing that yeah. people don't know about <laughs> diana she has a beautiful golden notebook that was gifted to her by <laughs> Hermes and she loves to doodle in it make sure everyone knows what the minutes of the meeting she loves it this is her little this is her dream all she wanted to be like she has a she has a great health benefits and she gets home at 5 30 every day when exactly. everyone else is working late she gets to be done she gets to clock out it's the life she wanted I would like to point out too that this is actually a pretty solid nod to sexism in the Greek myths too because a lot of times the Amazons are pointed to as as being the one trope of female empowerment in these ancient myths. But then when scholars started talking about it, they said, yeah, but they always lose. You know, Hippolyta dies to Hercules. They tell the backstory of they're the strongest warriors ever. And then in the actual story, they have a man beat them. So it's just setting them up to be knocked down by the male heroes. Just again, classic crazy sexism from Greek myths and repeated here in the original Justice League. The Justice Society. The Justice Society. I yeah. like to think of Diana like on the subway, like one of those ladies that 
um, while she's going to work, she's got her sneakers on, but she's got her heels in her bag. Yeah. As soon as she gets <laughs> off the subway, she's like, time to go to work. <laughs> she's working girl. If you've seen working girl, it's basically that. Yeah. <laughs> so the Justice Society had their final issue in 1951. They had a, a good 10 year run and then they've kind of been relegated to like an alternate earth or like a WW2 predecessor to the Justice League. Like if you hear the Justice Society, it's normally done like a, like a, oh yeah, those were the old heroes back in the golden age, which is like a little like wink, wink, nudge, nudge kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause that was like the beginning of, of DC's like continuity issues, right? Like right. where they were like, how do we update things and update characters and make things relevant and change them? And their solution was we'll make the Justice Society's adventures count, but we'll just put them on Earth 2 where they can sit. So then the Justice League can be the first of this. And then, of course, that's changed a million times since then. Exactly. So, yeah, they became the the thing of Earth 2. But then nine years later, 1960, Gardner Fox formed uh, the Justice League as we know it. It was a crossover in uh, The Brave and the Bold, uh, which is... Uh, kind of the crossover comics that they would do at the time. And the team consisted of Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, The Flash, Green Lantern, Aquaman, and Martian Manhunter. The team that kind of, I think, I'm most familiar with because that's the team that they would use in the Justice League cartoon uh, that premiered in 2001. It's it's kind of like the gold standard Justice League team. Yeah, that's like what they would refer to as the big seven. I wish we could just give Martian Manhunter his own show now too. I don't know why he's one that keeps getting put off with DC shows. I want a Martian Manhunter focus. Well, we do yeah. have him in Supergirl. We do. I just want his own thing now too, especially because they keep downplaying him on Supergirl with Always Bothered Me. Years ago, I have to tell you that I, I had like an, a concept for like a Martian Manhunter detective show. Like it makes so much sense to do like a Twin Peaks style Martian Manhunter, like, because he was based in Colorado for a period of time. So like there's this thing of like small town, weird things happening, you know, secret right. alien detective like, I don't know why that hasn't happened. I mean, I know why be it hasn't happened, but I creatively speaking, like as a as a concept, like that seems like a no brainer to me. That I want it. I want a Twin Peaks Martian Manhunter show sounds incredible. And I'll, I might never see it because some people be like, oh, that's weird. But don't people want action? No, I want Martian no. Manhunter <laughs> going around solving small town murders. And yeah, yeah. that sounds incredible. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That's like one of those things that I feel like will never get made because it is too specific. Like people would want to just take for that us three, and then make basically it, make it sort of like, you know, mainstream where I was like, no, like that. That's the thing that I, I, I hope for HBO Max, that some of the shows that they and that, that Warner Brothers ends up doing, like that they take risks and do bolder yes moves with the storytelling and the pace and all of that just so that we can get out of the sort of mainstream uh network tv pace that exists on like the wb or wb cw yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do like the idea of it being like one of those sleepy town British crime dramas, where it's like there are like nine people there and someone killed and they can't figure it out, except the detective is John Johns. Well, I like that. I just love the idea of just pitching it and they're just like, so a different supervillain committed the murder every week. And they're like, nope. no, just human beings being awful to each other. And this like guy comes best. in. Yeah. And this guy comes in and uh, yeah, he has telepathy. We're going to have to figure out a way around that. 
that, but right. yeah, he'll solve it. He'll solve the murder. I love Martian Manhunter and the fact, like, I'm sure we'll mention Zack Snyder's Justice League a little bit more, but the fact that they pop yeah. him in that movie like <laughs> twice and you're just like, wait, Martian Manhunter's been here the whole time? That, the final scene was so dumb. I think it like that final bit with Martian Manhunter was not, and also the fact that he calls himself Martian, that he says like, like he says like, people call me Martian Manhunter. And I'm like, shut the fuck just up. Just say your name's John Johns. It's John. Like, yeah, your name yeah. is, yeah. Like you don't, like you I, don't, you don't call yourself. You don't, there's no even reason to mention that. You don't, he doesn't even have to introduce himself. Like theoretically, like people know. And if you're watching, like who's watching this four hour movie because they don't know who the Justice League is. Like, why would you put yourself through that horror? Yeah, yeah. it's just like, dude, they said they were calling you that because they were bullying you. You right. don't have to call right. yourself that. No, I think we can all agree that the correct take on the Justice League was basically Murder, She Wrote, but with Martian Manhunter instead of Angela Lansbury. Yes. That would have been the correct four hour Justice League. I'm going to be honest, huge fan of this. Yeah. Uh, you know what? They also give Martian Manhunter his credits because when they make a Justice League show for the first time, for one, they take away the name and they call it the Super Friends. And it premiered in 1973. And they did not put Martian Manhunter on that team one bit. God, yeah. He never even made an appearance. But Brayden, you were saying that Super Friends was your in, correct? Yes. Super Friends was like, honestly, it was like everything to me as a little kid. I loved it. I would, I watched the Saturday morning one. I watched it because it was in syndication. So I watched it after school and it was really like just my favorite thing. If you were to ask my parents now, you know, they'd be like, what's Brandon's like favorite thing ever? And my dad would go, super friends. Like he refers <laughs> to any superheroes as super friends also. So he'll be like, Hey, uh, do you see the super friends? And I'm like, do you mean Avengers? Um, because it's just, he doesn't, he knows, it's like, he knows, but he doesn't carry that information anymore. So it's just all one big lump but i love the super friends i like i have i have a lot of nostalgia for the super friends and i've in my life and my career have tried to really understand the role that nostalgia plays i think every i think most of society just says nostalgia it's fun we deal with it but i you know as a writer as a creator like i don't want to be driven by nostalgia i don't want to have to feel the need to recreate my childhood in everything that i do and if i do write you know like something that you know there are stories that i've wanted to tell for a really long time but i'm not trying to like just like never move forward from the past but super friends is one of those shows that like i wouldn't have ever enjoyed superheroes if it wasn't for the super friend and so there are elements even now that i watch i mean also i have this like when i watch episodes like i could lip sync the entire some episodes <laughs> from start to finish i really could and i just have this no, i understand it's insane and and like there are there are episodes of that show that i just remember where i was when they first aired i used to remember when I like I remember there was like a period maybe like a year where it was not on maybe 1984 to 85 where there was like a sort of skip period and I remember being on vacation in Myrtle Beach and the television was on and they would do these commercials like this fall the Saturday morning you know lineup and they played an episode they played a clip or you know just a bit with Firestorm and Firestorm was one of my favorite characters and I lost my shit I was like 
are you because they didn't introduce new characters on super friends it was the same lineup and they had the you know they had like during challenges super friends they had like hawkman and flash and Green Lantern, but like they didn't introduce any modern at that time what was like modern like characters from the comic books and the fact that now all of a sudden firestorm one of my favorite characters because he was like the young one was joining the team i was like we have to get back to ohio i need to put some PR. <laughs> like it was vacation's over i mean yeah, firestorm I, is on super friends it was it was giant and dark side dark side being one of the villains that i you know had known about for years but i'd be like they never use him and now all of a sudden it was like this big turning point it like blew my mind but super friends was de- is definitely this like benchmark for just the volume of characters that passed through in challenge of the super friends the wonder twins you know that's another thing wonder twins has this uh, not visibility but people remember wonder twins power activate but they don't know oh, where yeah. it comes from they just go like oh yeah the t- they had a monkey but like if you're like the super friends the justice league the hall of Je-, they're like i don't really know i just know wonder twins also the uh union terminal in cincinnati where i grew up is what they base the hall of justice on so anytime we drove by it it was like the most exciting thing in the entire world i love that how they had union terminal but the legion of doom had essentially darth vader's helmet right (laughs) i mean i would love to build if i had like elon musk money or you know i don't know whoever i would love to build like a replica hall of doom it it was the hall of i loved i loved the hall of doom i loved the the bad guys i mean to have solomon grundy be a household name was is wild to me i've got my i've got i mean solomon grundy bizarro has was another favorite of mine. Also, even as a kid, I was making up like, it was kind of what I also did with G.I. Joe, where I would kind of create in my brain, even as a kid, this like weird sexual tension, like <laughs> between like Cheetah and Brainiac and Luthor. I used to do it with G.I. Joe with, with Cobra Commander, Baroness and Destro, where I was like, oh, like, like who's actually, who's together? Or maybe it's a throuple, who knows? Who knows? We don't. <laughs> we, I don't we don't. That, that like, look, just because they're evil doesn't make their relationships, their non-standard relationships bad. And I just exactly. want to get that said right now on the exactly. record. Exactly. Thank you. But I, I love the Super Friends and it's weird because they did have like this big jump. They tried to do a, a pilot in 1997 on CBS for the Justice League, which is if you ever get a chance, guys, look it up. It's hilariously bad. They're not able to use any like big, the biggest name is Green Lantern of, of the team they were able to use. Green Lantern and Flash were the only like two big heroes they were able to put in this show and it's very bad 1997 graphics like you got to remember Smallville came out four years later and like at the time was revolutionary the effects are used in this Justice League show on CBS awful very much MS Paint style graphics that like and the Green story Lantern's was ring. like so bad. It was like they didn't really know what because they were trying to do sort of I think um, an amalgam like tone because they had the Justice League International, which was humorous um, with like Fire and Ice and Booster Gold and Blue Beetle, and then they had like the Justice League, which was not typically uh, humorous. So I think they were trying to go for like a mixture of tones, and they just didn't know what it was. I mean, it wasn't it was like a weather it was like a weather device or something. Yeah, they were, like they were the fighting main, Weather Wizard. Yeah, yeah, it just. I I remember seeing clips back in the day of that 
and being like, I feel bad. I also, I always think of the actors and shit like that, where I'm like, oh, somebody was like, no, I'm, I just booked this really cool thing. It's yeah. like a super I'm going to be the Green be. Lantern. Yeah. They're like, have yeah. you seen Batman? Yeah. Like, it's kind of like Batman. Yeah. And then <laughs> never goes anywhere. And now, and now like, tw- you know, over 20 years later, we're on a podcast, just like shitting on like, what was the biggest role of your life? And I'm very, if anyone's listening and they were part of the 1997 Justice League show, this wasn't your fault they did not have the technology nor writers that actually cared about comics enough to give you the material you deserved you guys deserved <laughs> david ogden styers who played martian manhunter was like a very well respected actor he was on mash like and then you see this photo of him in as john jones and you're like oh this poor guy yeah. like you think about what his agent had to say he's like well you're gonna be in green makeup and um you're gonna have like a life, your body exposed and he was like uh, <laughs> i need my sag pension yeah let's do it yeah. <laughs> the, the, the trick is and people like figure it out later is just like make him human as much as possible use the green as little as you possibly he can transform you have to use the green once an episode maybe mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> which is something they do in supergirl where they're like like he'll yes. walk into a room and he's just like, oh, I can't use my powers here. It's like, if you can't use your powers here, then you're going to be green. You, that is your right. base form. <laughs> I love the workarounds that like, if you if you know about how things are made, you watch and you're like, yeah. Do you think that Jennifer Lawrence doesn't have it in her contract that she's only going to be in makeup for X amount of time? Like, she's not like, I want to be really true to Mystique. No, right. no. She's like, I don't want to be in that makeup. So find a way creatively to make it so that I never have to put that makeup on except for two days of shooting or whatever it is. Like, right. And the same thing goes with like Martian Manhunter. Watching Dark Phoenix, it's very clear like that it kind of looks like they put a blue filter just on her. Like it, it doesn't even look like she's sat in the makeup chair for that last, which you know what? If you're making Jennifer Lawrence money and you're just like fulfilling a contract that you signed when you were like 18 years old, I get it. Yeah, like I don't, I don't blame Jennifer Lawrence for that. It's good for you. <laughs> get it done. Yeah. No, I, it's it's definitely a nice little power thing. And with the with the with the CW shows, I do find that I feel like I haven't watched Supergirl in a while. But once he once he started to be Martian Manhunter more, they did give him the suit, so he walks around in the suit, but he's not the the John Jones head. So I'm like, okay, that's like their way of like trading it off, where it's like, yeah, see, we'll give you a little, we'll give you a little, yeah, yeah. 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 It's something. Time, right? it's something. Oh man! And then we have the thing that was my biggest comics intro is they combined Batman the Animated Series, they combined Superman the Animated Series, and they gave us the Justice League cartoon in 2001. They ran from 2001 to 2003, and it became Justice League Unlimited, which exploded the roster from 2003 to 2006. And I think the DC Animated Universe is probably some of the best like jumping off points for anyone who's like, I want to get into comics, but I don't want to read like a thousand issues. I'm like, here are three shows that you can watch and you will have a fantastic understanding of DC Comics, these characters. I just feel like it was done with such love and and an understanding uh, of every single one of them. Superman is, is, is played pitch perfect where he is the big blue Boy Scout. Bruce is, you know, naming people's secret identities just because like, of course he knows it. Like everyone's kind of shocked, but he just... 
rattles them off. And it's like, that is such a Batman thing. It is one of my favorite shows and also has the Justice Lords arc, which is 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 one of the best things I've ever seen. I'm always, I'm just like, you can't do it as a movie. Like, yeah, like you have to have like, not like four or five Justice League movies before you could do a Justice Lords anything. But I love it so much. I'm a huge fan of like alternate, char- you know, dark characters. That was what, that was one of my favorite episodes of the Super Friends was Universe of Evil, where what they did was they made all the costumes like black and red and it was like very dark and so like anytime like that the justice swords i i mean the thing about the justice league cartoon was it okay we'll start batman the animated series was groundbreaking i loved it when it came out i had i mean i still in my parents basement i have all the video all the vhs tapes i recorded it every single day like like i had it queued up like it was like it was because it was beautiful it was like nothing that that i you know you'd ever seen no it's absolutely gorgeous it was wonderful and it took them so long superman i was into but then i sort of lost interest but but when justice league came along like in my brain i was like it took you so it took them so long to put a justice league cartoon together like i was happy to have it but i was like what took you so long yeah (laughs) and it was just so i like i like i like the original series um before it became unlimited because they gave it room to breathe like the format of cartoons is one of those things that i mean even now they're like "Ah, we got 10 minutes that's it like everything is getting shorter and shorter and shorter and so things get sacrificed along the way and what i liked about justice league is they're like yeah we're gonna do two-part episodes so you're getting 45 minutes of story yeah everything was a movie pretty much yeah every arc was a little things could breathe you could you know i mean i just i it was it was such a, a, a breath of fresh air and i have to tell you as a side note um susan eisenberg the voice of wonder woman and i have become friends and we have commute because we started communicating on on social media and like now every time i go out to la we have lunch and she is so lovely and so wonderful and i just like i'm surprised that and i'm not actually i'm not surprised but i wish that warner brothers would have done something or do something for the justice leagues like i believe it's like 25th anniversary coming up like oh, it would wow. be really nice yeah. to have um i know that there was a justice league animated movie that came out a couple of years ago that was in that style but it wasn't supposed to be in that style originally they weren't sure what they were going to do with it and then it because of time they're like we've got the character you know whatever so people are like oh it's part of the, the animated universe but it's that sort of up for debate but i would like to see a tried and true like sort of here we are again you know with like right. what i love is like those little tweaks too with the super friends there was one when they came back in that wonder woman or that firestorm season wonder woman had the w and not the eagle yeah and like i love little tiny tweaks like that um and i would love to like see the justice league animated characters back on screen with like little costume differences maybe wonder woman has her more gal gadot-ish sort of costume or a you know just little things like that you know i like that like reunion vibe like here we are again we've changed and now we have to figure out how they've changed since they've been away from each other. I'm such a big fan of that. And I, I love the idea so much. And I was about to say, the Justice League cartoon is the first thing that made me realize like, oh, the Patriot Act is bad. Like, they made a <laughs> child have that string of thoughts. Like, because right. like, that's like the kind of stuff that they would do of just like the government's trying to control these characters and they're actually spying on them. And it has like this whole thing where it becomes a big buildup where, you know, it ends with Lex Luthor and 
Brainiac forming a super super villain. But you know what? I love it. Big fan. That was that was such a great show. And uh, we talked about the Justice Lords being a, a darker version. How we like the darker version that was in Super Friends, which is a great jumping off point to the where it went wrong that you wanted to talk about today, which is identity crisis. Yes. Dun, dun, dun. So for those who don't know, every now and then when they want to do a big crossover event with all their superheroes, uh, they do a, something called Crisis. There was Crisis on Infinite Earths. There was Crisis Time, Infinite Crisis, Final Crisis. And this was kind of a spinoff crisis event called Identity Crisis. And I read this book a long time ago. And then uh, you said you wanted to do this episode. And I reread it. And guess what? I still understand why this was called the comic that ruined comics. Yeah. I mean, so I, it had been a long time since I've read it. Full disclosure, when it came out, I was super excited about it. Like, because it was a mystery. And every issue, you were like, what? It was a couple things for me. One, it was a return to what we were just talking about. It was like, hey, these characters are back together again after all these years. And so that was exciting to me because it was like something from the Justice League. And because we didn't get a, lot, a ton of stories from that era that were because those characters did not work together the same way that they did back in the day. So that was exciting. And when it came out, just like the fact that every issue, I mean, this is in a in a world where things didn't get spoiled on the internet before they even came out. So like you, I picked up those issues and when I turned the page, I was like, oh my God, this is happening. You know what I mean? So I was excited about that. And it wasn't until it was like fully over that I could like step back and be like, I don't know how yeah. I feel about that. Because there were, you know, the, the thing too about stuff like that is where like the art is beautiful. Rags Morales did an amazing job. There were parts of it that I enjoyed, but then there were other things that as I was reading that where, where I was just like, I don't, I wish that didn't have to happen. Even looking back as a storytelling thing, I'm like, I get it why you would be, but then I'd be like, um, I don't know if you want me to get into like specific beats. Yeah, we could go into the whole, let's try to take it kind of beat by beat for anyone okay. who might just be hopping in. Uh, but basically this is about Sue Dibney, who is the wife of Ralph Dibney, who is also known as the elongated man. A character I love, by the way, but just a terrible name. Yeah, I always confuse it. And like when they used him in Flash, uh, the TV show, I was like, they're sticking with elongated man. Cool, cool. I get I was it. So, also, yeah. <laughs> so Sue Dibney uh, is found murdered and like great start to a comic ralph comes home for their anniversary and uh, there's been a fire she's been killed she died in a fire immediate stakes like immediate like you know exactly how serious this is going to be and so the whole comic kind of revolves around somebody now knows that like someone uh, knows his identity went after his wife who is next are they going after all the leaguers loved ones and also you know who did this and the the spinoff mystery so that's how we start yes. and right off you know with with 2021 eyes you're just like so you're gonna start with killing off a female character immediately okay cool yeah yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah i mean she the thing about it too i mean when it comes to storytelling like you want people to feel things and you so like i understand when people kill beloved characters because they want people to be outraged and they want you know this emotional reaction and sometimes i'm like eh, and sometimes i'm like i get it with sue dibney 
she was this beloved sort of sweetheart. Her and Ralph had this like love affair and their relationship was very special. And it, they one of the, they um, appeared together, I believe it was in Justice League Europe was where they really were given. I, I think Sue was actually manning the sort of Justice League. She was like running things during Justice League Europe. Yeah, she was in the tower. She kind of like That's worked right. as like their, their point man up yeah, in the tower. Yeah, and so like there was something just very special about, I mean, even in that first issue where he is describing to Firehawk, you know, she's my girl. Like, and it's this very sweet. So of course, you know, like as soon as he starts talking about this great, you're like, okay, she's going to die. So it was like sad, right? But then it's also like, well, who is Sue Dibney? As a fan, I love her. But like, if you're picking up this book, like, you know, it's not like everybody's like, Sue Dibney's the best. I mean, that's, that's the weird thing too, when characters die and people come out of the woodwork and it's like, well, why didn't you ever buy the book? Why didn't, where have you been? Yeah. <laughs> so of course, like, you know, it then becomes this mystery, but then layers open up because exactly. now that Sue is dead, it becomes the Justice League takes a step back or the, not, not the not the Justice League in that moment, but the Justice League who were together in the 80s satellite era, um, who were not operating as the Justice League at that moment. And that's the thing with Justice League. It's like X-Men where it's like, oh, are all mutants X-Men? Who knows? Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like this specific group during the satellite era of the Justice League take a step back and go, I think we know what this is about. Right. Which is they, they immediately at the funeral like, we have to get Dr. Light. Uh, like this little break-off group consisting of Adam, Black Canary, Hawkman, Green Lantern, Barry Allen, and Zatanna. And they just go, we, we know it's Dr. Light. And Wally West overhears this and is like, hey, you guys know what's going on. What's happening? And then uh, Green Arrow is like, also, I know you're there, Green Lantern. And then uh, Di Gardner, the new uh, Green Lantern. No, Kyle Rayner. Kyle, Kyle Rayner. Ah, I always mess up the Green Lantern. There's so many Green Lanterns now, it's hard to keep track. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You never know exactly which one you're going to get. I love Kyle Rayner because I love his uh, his costume so much when I was a kid. I thought that was the coolest Green Lantern costume was his. But pretty much they break down this story of Dr. Light broke into the satellite, raped Sue Dibney, and they held him down. And they he said, I'm never going to stop. I'm going to find her again. And so they made the decision that not only are they going to wipe his memory of the event, they're also going to turn Dr. Light from a very serious bad guy into what he kind of is as one of Flash's rogues, which is a running joke. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, that scene is so subtly graphic. Yes. Yeah. Because, you know, there's this violent act taking place and it's not like there's something that is like, it's not overtly graphic, but it is suggestively graphic in a way that you're like, oh. It was upsetting. It yeah. was legitimately oh. upsetting. As, it's incredibly It was effective in, in, yeah. in portraying that. So much so that you almost understand, or not almost, that, that you feel like, well, yeah, do whatever you need to to him this was such a horrific event which is obviously the portrayal that they're going for yeah and rags morales you know to his credit is such a great ex greatly expressive artist um, right you know the art is beautiful i mean the, the art's not something we're going to yeah it's not something yeah, we're I going mean, to make fun of at all the art in this book is so well done and, and incredible and I loved really it a lot. It's, yeah and 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 we can talk about this later but there's a thing in the back of the hardcover i don't know if you had to take to look where he talks about who he modeled each character on like the, the like the actors and celebrities celebrities and people. And it's like, I read, I thought that was one of the most fascinating things is that he would be like, oh yeah, this is, I modeled this on, you know, Courtney 
Cox or, you know, whatever. Like it was really fascinating. Anyway, so they sort of had this meeting and we get some context about why Dr. Light is, you know, this joke. So uh, basically they decide that they're going to go after Dr. Light, but Dr. Light has hired Deathstroke. Uh, so when they go to corner him, Deathstroke being Deathstroke in cool scene, he takes out all of them very, very easily until they finally get the upper hand. Deathstroke and Dr. Light disappear and Superman shows up and he's just like, what's going on? And Wally not wanting to ruin the memory of Barry Allen lies to Superman, doesn't give the, the specifics because he's feeling gross about the whole thing because essentially they lobotomized a man. The Justice League lobotomized a human being and that's something that the fallout's going to have to do. But also during the whole exchange, Wally West gets an image, like a flashback from Dr. Light of that night and he sees Batman. There. Yes, yes. And meanwhile, the villains are all like whispering because they're like, the Justice League is out and about. They're looking for people like- And they're mad. <laughs> they're mad. Like we need to watch ourselves and be very careful. And at the same time, other heroes and families of heroes are concerned because there's this unknown situation that's happening. And um, Tim Drake, who at the time was Robin, is out there doing his thing. And his father finds out that he's Robin and is basically like, uh, I don't know. Um, have fun. Be careful. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he struggles a little bit. Like you're just like, okay, I get you love your son, but how much if you're just like, go get him, tiger. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I like the scene is very much sort of like, you know, watching TV, like I saw, I saw some, the murder son. You need going to <laughs> hope you're, Hope you're taking a, a knife or something with you when you're out with the, right. that rich uh, psychopath. <laughs> right. it, it was one of the things that really, again, because this has happened so often, drives on the point of like, is Bruce Wayne just picking up kids and training them to fight murderers? Isn't this like a really disturbing trait for any human being? Should, shouldn't we be questioning this? He's got time on his hands. And like, I, I get it's something that we all have always had problems with. It it, it comes up so often as a, as a trope. Just the, it felt like it was really driven home by seeing the father's reaction to it. It was like, this isn't an orphan. This is a kid who has a parent right now and he's still doing this. That's one of my favorite things is that Tim Drake had a parent and I find yeah. that right. hilarious. Like, it's just like, he's just some kid that Batman just started hanging out with. With. Like the other ones, he at least like adopted them and gave them a Tim Drake's just like someone who came around and he was like, hey, you're pretty good with a staff, kid. Want to fight the Joker? Yeah. Oh, Tim, things don't get easier for old Tim. No, they do not. Because in another uh, assassination attempt, Tim Drake's father is killed by Captain Boomerang, which yeah, is terrible. <laughs> One of the few Robins with parents and he lost them. Right. Which I also get from the story point of like we get the setup here we get the 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 you're telling this story again it it, it made sense but also like come on man it was the one with parents <laughs> i i i have to say that like that moment of anguish so so it's basically like tim and batman are like go on patrol and tim's father like there's a break in and he basically is like he like somebody broke into the house and he like grabs a gun and it's like I think he calls Oracle and it's like, you know, or has some communication where he get he gets sort of 
patched in where he's like, I love you, son. And, and Tim's like, turn this fucking Batmobile around. Yeah. <laughs> and so ends up Jack Drake gets killed and, and uh, Tim walks into the door and his father said, and there's this, just the anguish on Tim's face. And like, and then there's the scene, the, this image of Batman sort of holding Tim. I mean, that was one of it those was beautiful. things that like has always stayed with me. It really, and it's always stayed with me. It was just so painful. And the thing with the Robins is, you know, you had this whole um, Jason Todd thing that was like the 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 tragedy of the Robins, right? For many years, it was like Batman's greatest sort of like mistake or whatever. And then now you have this other Robin like has to, he doesn't have to lose his dad. Like I remember reading this and being like, this didn't, did this really have to happen? Like let, let this kid like have some joy. Like we don't need to turn every single one of these Robins into a tragedy. Yeah, it was really tough. It was really tough. But but pa- I mean, also just this powerful moment of just terror and anguish. I mean, yeah. And Tim Drake, Tim Drake's one of my favorite Robins from Batman the Animated Series because they they had Dick Grayson for the original run, and then for the New Adventures of Batman Robin, they skipped over Jason Todd, did Tim Drake, and that was my Robin as a kid. So it's very over the top to just kill his dad like that and make him one of the sad Robins. Yeah, and and at the same time, we should also mention that Ray Palmer, the Adam, and his ex-wife are growing closer because of all of these things. Because like I said, there's this concern between families of heroes and heroes where it's like, you know, we all got to take care of each other. And so his estranged wife sort of comes back into the picture and they're sort of talking again. And then there is an attempt on her life, which then brings Ray Palmer even further back into the picture because he is concerned for her welfare. Yeah. And they do a good job of tying the families together, those scenes with Tim and his father, obviously making it more heart-wrenching when he dies. That buildup of like that once Sue is lost, everyone starts to realize, okay, we need to hold our loved ones closer. Tim starts bonding with his father despite what's going on. They have some good scenes with Clark and Lois and Clark and his parents. They're really enforcing this this message of everyone realizing that they need to watch out for their loved ones. Yeah, not only that, but there's this whole mystery of the gun you mentioned earlier that Jack Drake has. It was left in his apartment with a note just like telling him to watch out that someone was coming. Uh, and then they circled the R in like a Robin kind of insignia. So like he knows like, oh, they know who you are. They're after you. Uh, it doesn't save him, but, th- but that was what was happening. So yeah, there's an attempt on the Adams estranged uh, wife. Jean Loring, that's her name. Yes, Jean. And we go back to the, the Batman side of the story, which is Wally West going to Green Arrow and saying, hey, why in this image, you told me that these guys were here. Why when I saw Dr. Light's like mental image of this, Batman was there. And they have to sit, like he, Green Arrow has to say, cause he was, he was there. He left to go clean up, came back because he, he felt like he had to be there for Sue and came in and walked in on them lobotomizing a man. And then they had to vote and did the same to Bruce Wayne. Yeah. yeah. They were wiping his memory, not that it was a full lobotomizing, right. but right. the same decision of, yeah, which was the part for me where it was just, what the fuck? This this isn't okay at all. This is dark. <laughs> the, the, and and the standard it sets, the way that it, it undoes everything. When you explain this to me well in, in, in your perspective on it, of what does this do for every scene we've we've loved before this? Yeah. Now that we know they've done this to Bruce. Yeah. I will say, you know, there these moments where shocking and exciting 
but like taking a step back from it all, it was like, you know, as a younger reader, I didn't have the sort of same, you know, I didn't have the same perspective. So taking a step back from that, I was definitely like, oh, well, that's really messy. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Th there are so many tales, right, that will be tainted, essentially. Right. So how do you read your favorite stories and know, even in the nature of comic books where everything changes and shifts and whatever, like you're reading certain things and being like, oh, I don't know about this. Yeah, right. that, that was one that definitely didn't sit right with me at all. And I'll I'll, I'll go into the, kind of like my full thoughts after we're done kind of breaking down the story. But it, it definitely was one of those things I immediately recoiled when it got to that part of the story. But basically, from there on out, Dr. Midnight, uh, Mr. Terrific, and Batman all kind of throughout their investigations realized that Sue uh, was killed by something small that went into her brain. They find foot... This is silly. This is very comics books. That they was find footprints yeah. in her brain uh so they're like oh someone very small caught in there and i'm like okay so you're 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 doing everything else and then tell me small footprints was the was the smoking gun clue fine okay so they're like someone had the adams technology and while this is happening ray palmer and his estranged wife are getting in bed they're having this whole conversation and she drops the thing of just do we know who sent that note to tim drake's father oh wait Wait, before I have to stop you, before that happens, at the end of one of the um, issues, when they're getting into bed, we we there is like these expressions that Ray Palmer has where you think, because you have Batman who's lining up all of this stuff and then cut against Ray getting into bed with, with Gene and there's this like naughty look on his face where you're like, he did it. He fucking did it. Yeah. He went to tiny <laughs> and then the lights go out and then it's like, that was the end of chapter six and you're like, oh my God, he's going to kill her. And then uh, th then the, the next issue has this moment of like, they're hanging out in, in bed and it's sort of and then he's asked the thing then she asked the thing about jack drake and he turns the light back on and it's like how did you know there was a yes. fantastic scene i i love that they started that too with the same line as the last one had ended on where very much like the tv segue that that it's obviously you've got the book you don't need the reminder but i really felt like it drove that home the setup of where they were and, and where they are now because that switch was so quick and beautifully done yeah it's like that naughty look is now recontextualized it's just like oh they're turning off exactly. the lights etc like that it recontextualized contextualizes that and immediately makes you go oh she had uh access to his old equipment she she thought that if she could do like a scare to make him close to her that you know that she could fix the marriage and then she just had to keep doing all these things to keep that first original fuck up going and to keep him in her life and it's just terrible like you know it's just all intense right and and the thing that looking back on that thing you know there's this back and forth that they have where she's also like like, I didn't mean, like, it just got away from me, this sort of, like, thing. And then, you know, the expressions, I mean, too, that she makes that are, you know, it, it runs the gamut of emotion. And then you sort of get to this moment where, at the end, where she takes a turn that is like a that's dark she goes from like i'm sorry i didn't mean it to like oh what are you gonna do what are you gonna yeah. do and you're like uh <laughs> now this is uncomfortable right you know it was such a, a great uh way it played out too because it was originally it you're right that that had that wasn't i didn't mean to, to kill her i i new to the suit i got big too fast you know went through the telephone lines and ended up in her brain was was the how they, they did this but that setup of originally it was like oh yeah this was a mistake and then again that quick switch where it's like oh this is how a 
psychopath knows they're supposed to behave. And then once you realize it's not selling, it just went dark. And it was really well portrayed because all of a sudden this was a different kind of villain where it was we we don't know how she got this far gone. But it was it was very well done. I, I just also um, it was it was like a constant trauma, like everybody. It's like trauma for everyone, which looking back, I'm like, uh, it's just really tough. You had Adam has trauma. Robin has trauma. And now every single person is dealing with this trauma and the reader is left with this like, hmm, okay. And it ends on this sweet note um, where Ralph Dibney is talking to himself essentially, but he's also talking to Sue before he turns the lights out. And it's like sweet because, you know, she's always with him and that sort of thing. But you're also like, what did I just have to deal with? Right. And I guess it comes down to, so I'll, I'll just say kind of my big problem with, with the, with this story in general, which is I don't like deconstructions of my favorite heroes done in the continuity where those heroes live. That that's my big thing. I don't think I don't like deconstructions of the morality of the Justice League being done with the Justice League in the main continuity of the Justice League because it, it just it taints everything at that point. You could do an Elseworld story, you could do a one-off, and you can do yeah, uh, you could do the Justice Lords, you could do these alternate universes. But when it's the actual characters doing these things, and you're saying like here are them doing these very ethically gray to bad things. I, I just it doesn't I, I don't know I, it just doesn't it's not comfortable and I know that's probably the point but it, I don't know it rubs me the wrong way what do you think I have to agree I think there are sometimes I, I think there are ways to play with these things there are ways to hold the mirror up where you you don't have to have these characters necessarily experience you know through their actions all of these things again um the the alternate universe device is always interesting because you can do all of this stuff. I think for me, what what happened was I was excited for this. I, I didn't know what to expect. I was on the edge of my seat in many instances. And when it was all over, it was, it had just turned into this exhausting, traumatic event where there was, I mean, I don't think anything, everything has to be a happy ending, but for a story like this, like I, it was, it was the antithesis of happy ending. It was just a miserable, horrible. And then from this too, I remember um, they turned Gene Loring into Eclipso. So Gene, Loring then became a super villain. And I understand that impulse to turn people in it. But like, I also was like, I felt like, oh, can't we just like not have her go down that path and just sort of go away and get help and not have to become a supervillain. Like it, it just didn't, I don't know. It just it didn't make sense to me. It didn't feel right. I just, I walked away from this being like, um, yeah, I don't know. And then over the years, it's just gotten more like, I don't, I mean, again, there are these elements that I like of it and I can't deny that like the beautiful art, I can't deny some of these very powerful interactions and moments, but it just, it's not cool. Right. And also you didn't have to, like, I understand they wanted to go into the whole morality of people who could go into each other's minds and things like that, sometimes literally. But it just has this whole thing of just like, well, why did we need the backstory that this character was sexually assaulted if that doesn't even play into the mis? It's a completely side story against it to a morality thing that doesn't play into the main mystery. It's just like, oh, by the way, this character was assaulted. Uh, these heroes lobotomized 
a villain. And also, Bruce Wayne is working with people who went into his mind and fucked around with it, which if you know Bruce Wayne would know that that is a betrayal, like, that like would not be put up with. And he's just, and they keep him in the, like, at the end, he doesn't know. He has, like, a little, like, panel where it looks like he's suspicious of something Wally said. But that that's how it ends. Like, and, and none of that was actually needed for the mystery part of this story. It was all flavor that was added to kind of make you feel gross. It was. And I, I think what was strange about it was, Brandon, I mean, you mentioned understanding from a writer's perspective, a lot of the choices like, oh, OK, this is I was sad to lose Sue, but I understand why that choice was made. But most of the choices, it was like, I get conceptually why you would think this, but the cost isn't worth the payoff. You have undone so much here. And as as Wen said, you've you've created these side stories. You created this mystery. I'd heard about the plot of this before I had read it and assumed the entire point was the fact that they were messing with Batman's mind, because this is a major thing that you dropped as a side story. A- again, just the, the level of betrayal here. And then they kind of say at the end is if it wraps it up this, you know, how people see what they want to see. Well, Bruce knows what he wants to know. He probably knows it happened. He probably figured it out. And it was like, is that is that it? <laughs> he probably figured it out is is good enough here. This is the level of invasion and 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 yeah, a- absolute betrayal uh, for the idea that you have. It doesn't even matter if it was significant or not. Just the idea once you've crossed a line of you are erasing someone's memories to make them okay with you as a human being uh, or whatever being. Uh, it just rewrites everything. You've you've introduced a whole new level here, and for no reason. If this wasn't what the whole story was about, not only that, but to do it to like Barry Allen. You brought Barry Allen like kind of back from the dead a little bit to like just say, by the way, he did something unforgivable twice in a row, really back to back there. Uh, we're just going to drop that. Right. And then kind of leave even it. says like, like Barry wouldn't have voted for it. And they're like, no, Barry voted You're for like, it. You don't know <laughs> like, Barry. God, Barry was the one. <laughs> we're not Barry. Creatively, like when I think back to this, like, you know, like where DC Comics was at the time, you know, Dan DiDio was in charge of stuff. And like, I can... I can understand the attractiveness of Brad Meltzer. He was a novelist. He was outside the realm, but he was also a fan bringing him in to do this sort of, you know, but like, I always find it funny when certain big name comic book creators get free reign to do, to make bold creative choices. Um, and others, like some of the, you know, the, 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 the sturdier guys that have been around, they don't get to come in and like shake things up. They get to come in and sort of, you know, uh, like Grant Morrison gets to do whatever he wants, you know, I was about to say Grant Morrison like right. will do whatever <laughs> right. he wants, and everyone's just like, "Cool, that's just that's just Grant yeah. doing his fifth dimensional alien thing." And and you know, some people have such specific voices, and that's the reason. But then other people are like business draws, right? So like Bill, Brad Meltzer being this like businessy, like, well, he's a novelist; he'll bring this, you know, and let him do what he wants. I remember when I, I read those um, I read those Kevin Smith Batman books that came out, uh, uh, Cacophony and uh, the Winding Gyre. Yeah. Yes, and I was like, oh, like I just. I felt bad because I did not enjoy them and I was like they probably he was Kevin Smith so they just did what he they look like Kevin Smith do whatever he wants and there are other creators that like really want to tell bold interesting stories and they can't do it because they're giving all this money to Kevin Smith to tell a Batman story where there's like bad jokes and he like, ever finished the widening gyre by no the he way. didn't cacophony did cacophony I think that was fine and I think onomatopoeia is a fun comics bad guy that's made appearances since that I that I enjoy widening gyre I was don't... that the first time Automata Pio was in a book? 
I thought that was Green Arrow. That's so, oh, he did. Kevin Smith, in, uh, Kevin Smith came up with Onomatopoeia. He premiered him in uh, Green Arrow and brought oh, him right. over okay, to okay. Cacophony. Got it, yeah. got it, got it. Um, yeah, but like, so, you know, with Brad Meltzer, like Rags Morales was, um, I forget what he was on at that moment in time, book-wise, but like, this was a great moment for him, I gotta say. Yeah, like, yeah. his work is just, I wish he was, I mean, I wish, I don't know what he's up to these days, but. The, the arts, the art is fantastic in this book. And, it, it, it is the, like in their defense i'll say in their defense the art is wonderful in this yeah one. yeah um there's this bit in the back of the hardcover that talks about who his inspirations were his elongated man inspiration being danny Kay and dick van dyke i love that and it was so clear too like oh yes it's absolutely those two. Oh yeah uh sue dibney being don wells from gilligan's island oh wow um this was i mean firehawk is only in the beginning but his inspiration for firehawk was patty hearse that was a strange choice yeah. yes gene loring leslie ann warren uh who was miss scarlet and clue uh adam was a young paul newman that man was a, a, a mustache less Tom Selleck. Oh, okay. Okay. I can see that. Yeah. It's so well drawn. The drawing is not, the art is not the problem with the book. It's just, it. I just don't like the deconstructions with, done with these characters. It's kind of like how everything is an evil Superman story. Now. Right. Yes, absolutely. There was something too that I, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but like seeing those characters come together. I mean, if you're a Justice League fan, there were there are large swaths of time where that core, those big name superheroes were not in the book. I mean, and when, after Crisis, like the, that original team that came together, that was not the original, Wonder Woman was not a part of it. Wonder Woman for a while, she like made an appearance in like Justice League Europe, number one. And then she was like, I'm out. And then she wasn't, like she had all this association with the Justice League. Then it wasn't until I want to say the mid nineties where she came back and she led a Justice League team. But like that, those core characters, it was like, nobody really even knew if those stories, like if they were even the same anymore, especially the Hawk people too, because the Hawk people had been rebooted. So to have these characters come together in this like, um, you know, very reunion-y sort of feel, even under these terrible circumstances for somebody who loved when they were a team, that that was exciting. It just sucks that it came together over um, these terrible yeah. mistakes. Also, one that we didn't mention, but that bothered me was that Firestorm basically got like an offstage death. Oh, yeah. Like, like nothing. They just, it was like two pages were like, oh, okay, well, got stabbed, going to explode. Yeah. And it was like, yeah. are you not doing better by Firestorm's death? That's a big one to kill off. Yeah, I that's know. a huge character. And just to just kind of, I, I think part of it is just like, oh, do you not think there's a big contingency of Firestorm fans? Because yeah. like, he got, he has like three iterations already in CW shows. Like that's how popular right. the character is. Like they had to keep bringing in new firestorms because they didn't want to get rid of having a firestorm around. Yeah. Right. And I feel like he's one of the easier ones to bring back because of the, you know, firestorm matrix. And they've obviously managed that a few times, but this is still just, just too big a one to do the way they did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes too, it's always interesting who, what creators use certain characters that are as expendable characters. And also creatively, or I should say, it's interesting what characters DC offers up for people to kill because that happens. Uh, during Infinite Crisis, Dan DiDio offered up like Nightwing to kill. He hates Nightwing. Like there are certain characters that like people get, you know, there's like a list and it's like, you can kill these people. And it's, a, I, I love it when there are powerful and uh, stories that matter with certain characters. But now I think we've reached this saturation where it's very clear that every single character that dies will come back. There's no, there's no, 
outside of Uncle Ben. I mean, Jor-El came back a couple years ago. Yeah. The rules used to be everyone comes back in comics unless they're Jason Todd and Bucky Barnes. And we exactly. broke that rule with it. But here's the thing. Those are the two best broken rules because I like Winter Soldier and I love Red Absolutely. Hood. Absolutely. <laughs> Those are uh, Winter Soldier being like, I think, probably the biggest success story. I mean, it, without Winter Soldier, I, I feel like more characters would probably stay dead, honestly, yeah. because the Winter Soldier's like, like that, that book was so great. And it was like such a beautiful surprise. And it made so much sense. It, like, it wasn't just, sense. Yeah. it wasn't just like a one-off thing where it was like, guess who's back. It was like, Oh, Oh, this is thick. And I like it. Yeah, Whereas yeah. now, I mean, every major character has died multiple times. And right. what I find <laughs> interesting about DC now is that they're, they're embracing the, the fullness of continuity as this omniverse of like, everything has happened. And like the shifting nature of the the multiverse and the greater omniverse is just part of their histories now. And I'm interested in, in I'm surprised that it hasn't happened earlier. Well, Grant Morrison tried to do those kinds of things with Batman, where he tried to say that every Batman story is actually in continuity and has happened. Yes, the Joker has tried to do a patent fraud case with Fish. Or he also tried to murder Barbara Gordon and did all like, it's just like those two, those are not different things. Those are the same guy did both of them. They all have. Yeah, no, and, and only Grant Morrison, I feel like, can like make us sort of like understand and believe that. You know what right, I mean? Like, right. I, it's a big, it's a big challenge. And I'm curious now that they have embraced this whole thing after uh, what is it, death metal, where it's like everything's happened and memories will start returning, and you never know. And now they have these like sort of secret groups of people to be like, what does this mean for all of us if we just all of a sudden are being have you know. I'm curious to know immediately like when they will scale it back down. Yeah, I'm very curious to see uh, what the Batman Who Laughs does next because he's the bad guy in every book now. <laughs> I mean, I, with comic books, I feel like Marvel and DC, once they get some character that has a measure of popularity, it doesn't matter if the, how fleshed out the character is. If it has a little popularity, they're like, let's just- They are running him into the them. ground. Yeah. I mean, they really have. And you know, for and Marvel's end- I've, He came I've out never, like five years ago and he's in every book. And then there's all these toys. I mean, they make all, there's like a whole toy. Todd McFarlane's making all these dark versions of all the all the characters from the dark, from the metal and all that. Right. Like, I'm, it's the same with Marvel. Like, I'm, I'm fascinated with, with like the Venom thing, right? I, I don't care about Venom the way other people care about Venom. Right. And they have gone all in. They're like, you know, the planet of the symbiotes, there's like five different types of Venom now. And there's like, what's his name? The King in Black, who is like the head, like they really, I don't know who the people are that are consuming all of this Venom. Everyone loves Venom material, content these yeah. days, yeah. But <laughs> I'm very curious to meet with them and find out where they are, what they're doing. I mean, they they made the evil Spider-Man movie without ever mentioning Spider-Man when they made Venom, which I thought that was just a wild choice. But we're going to go on 50 million tangents here. So I think we should try to circle back to, in their defense, what are some things from Identity Crisis I know we've been talking about what we didn't like, but what are some things that each of us enjoyed about the book? Rags Morales is a wonderfully expressive artist who can, you know, he uses facial expressions in a way that is just, there are so many great comic book artists and some of whom have a sort of, you know, 
let me put it this way. Okay, Tom Cruise is a good actor, but he does Tom Cruise in his roles, right? right. And I think of Jim Lee as like a, a sort of Tom Cruise, right? I like okay, Jim I Lee's see art, that. but Jim Lee does his Jim Lee thing, right? right? Then there are other artists that come in and inhabit things in a different way. And Rags Morales, you can tell from the, the care that he puts into each, the specificity of expression and the specificity of characters that he is giving this extra dimension um, outside of just what people think I think of like uh, as comic book art. And there's so much heart. I mean, the, when, when Tim Drake is wailing because his father has been, been murdered, like that hit me. I mean, that really hit me when I saw that in a way that is real. And Batman in complete silhouette holding him is just a gorgeous mm -hmm. shot. Beautiful I love the scene. idea of Batman being good with kids. I love the idea that like, <laughs> it, 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 some, like some people use it very well where Batman is terrifying to criminals, but kids love Batman. I've seen that done a few times and I think that's such a great thing. Like we talked about the Justice League animated series. They have that great one where Ace, this villain character, she's just a child and she's able to create all these things with her mind and she's dying. And so like her, her brain's going nuts and destroying all these things. And Batman just like sits on a swing set with her just holds her hand while she dies and it's like the best one of the best batman stories ever i love the idea of batman just being fantastic with children uh and i love that like batman understands hurt on a way that other superheroes don't so that shot of him holding tim drake like that great just beautiful absolutely, absolutely. beautiful. andrew what's what's some things you love from the well book? i'm absolutely in on the art but i i think ultimately as just a, a real defense of this i could see getting here as a writer, because ultimately the story isn't bad. It's that there are a few things that they push to a point that undoes most of what's good in the story because it undoes a lot of history behind the story. And the way it's delivered, I almost feel like in each one they think, oh, this isn't that big a deal. And it's not until you realize that it's it's really a huge thing that they've introduced here. And I, I can see feeling the, the, the need for this, feeling that you need the balance, feeling that you need the sacrifice and putting the story together and somehow not realizing until afterwards that you miss something huge. Uh, that, that you missed the damage this was actually going to do to all of the characters. So I, I get the attempt. And ultimately, I, I think that they carried out a lot of it well. It was just a couple misses that were so big, it tainted the whole thing. But also, I'm all in on the art because it was just beautiful. Yeah. And I'll go on and say two two big things for me. Deathstroke planning out an entire fight to take out that oh, segment of the, just, yeah. of the Justice <laughs> mm -hmm. League is so good. It's one of those things that are like, I love that Deathstroke almost kind of functions as evil Batman in a lot of stories. Yeah. Like he he has a plan for everyone. Like he he goes for Green Arrow, but he doesn't actually aim for his head. He aims for the quiver so they can't shoot. He sets up explosions to set a path for where Wally's going to end up being by the time that it's done. Things like that. I love that kind of planning out. I love Deathstroke as that kind of character. And the other thing was there's a moment where Adam's uh, estranged wife is, you know, parentheses, attacked and... And there's a rope hanging on the door and they're like, who could have done this? And Superman's able to walk in and say the exact kind of knot it is and that it's used by the Boy Scouts because what right. a Superman thing that he's a, but he still has all of his not knowledge from when he was a Boy Scout. That is such a good character moment. And uh, I, I've become a big Superman fan in the past like few years. I used to think he was like overpowered and I didn't like it, but there's something that I love so much about just characters that are just inherently good that I've become full circle on. I used to love the dark thing and just like, oh, like what, like Batman, you know, I still love Batman, but I just like, he's a dark, 
dark character. Like, oh, this story like puts a character you love, but in a dark context. And now I'm like, don't give me evil Superman. Just give me a Superman who is good and loves his family. Because that's right. what yeah. I want to read. So I, I have written some Justice League books. I've written like chapter books that tie into the animated series. Right. And I've written Superman over the years and stuff for younger readers. And, you know, everybody has their sort of like, what is your take or whatever? Like, I feel like Superman and what I like about Superman is that he is a listener. He is the guy who is willing to sit at the table and listen and try to process and understand what's going on, between what, what the conflict is. And it's not to say that he's not going to necessarily sit down and listen to, you know, the head of the Ku Klux Klan to get his perspective. But right. it is more about sitting at the table until the conflict is resolved. He's that type of person. He's like, we're not leaving here until we're all on the same page, right? And it doesn't mean that there isn't one perspective that is sort of right and one is wrong. It's that, you know, he's not just going to, he's not going to give up on people. Yeah, he he will not, he won't start swinging until he's tried to, he's tried other options. Like that's the essence of a Superman trait. I love it. And I'm a huge fan of, I've just become a huge fan of just, same with Captain America. I love characters now that are just good, moral, righteous people that just kind of Absolutely. are doing the right thing. And especially a character like Superman, where it's all the power in the world and yet he'd rather sit at a table and, and hash it out rather yeah. than just solve it it's in beautiful. two seconds. Yeah, yeah and I, I think that that boost of something that is is can be still intense but wholesome. It makes you just feel good and it, it's hopeful. It's it's really nice to see. It's kind of like and, and it's kind of like why I like that moment so much of him seeing the knot and knowing it from his Boy Scout training because it's kind of the opposite of the rest of the book where it's seeing these characters in like a darker light but no, Superman is incorruptible over here just saying Boy Scout knots and just doing his best. In fact, even the way they frame him having to the, him to the side in those shots where they, they always put him just outside. They make it very clear that he's going to he's going to stand in a different light. Yeah, he's not naive. That's the thing. Like, right. But he's but he's got this sort of purity. And yeah, that kind of nuance that you're talking about is another reason why I did like, it. you know, Brad Meltzer clearly knows the Justice League inside and out. He's clearly a fan. He has the knowledge. So all of those little bits and pieces were sort of exciting and fun because the way that he wove the history into these things, even though some of it was not obviously, it was was obviously tainted. But yeah, he just had such a command of the history of the Justice League, which was cool. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. And I mean, I think that about covers it. What do you guys think? I think we've gone over that. I think we've gone over everything else too, which is great. Yeah, <laughs> so what we loved was really the entire history of the Justice League. It's been a favorite of all of ours. What went wrong was Identity Crisis, was just so much in Identity Crisis. And it's a shame that it was one thing that felt like it colored the history. But thankfully, the art was so good that we were able to put up with it anyway. I don't think anybody has returned to Identity Crisis as a story point. No. Like, past. No, I don't think I've seen it. It's kind of been glossed over completely. Yeah. And I don't even know if it's really in continuity anymore. I know we're trying to do like a, everything actually happened but didn't at the same time. But yeah. no one's really referencing this story. And it's, I mean, it's because once you do it, you have to accept the fact that they did bad things to people's minds. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I do believe that Ralph Dibney is alive and working as, I feel like he died. There was like a period of time, I want to say, when they were him and Sue ghost detectives. Was that 52? Yeah. That's right. They, yeah. <laughs> they did that in the, in the hell story. And yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad they got them together in some form because they really were a 
a couple that I love to love. Yeah. Well, Brandon, thank you so much for coming on. This was an absolute pleasure. We really appreciate you coming on to talk to us. Thank you for having me. I had a good time. Absolutely. This is so much fun. I was so happy you agreed to do it. And I was so happy when you threw out a Justice League thing as the topic. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I racked Big my fan. brain because I was like, what do I have a command knowledge? Like what, what kind of, I mean, I know a lot of shit about stuff, but then I being called on it. I'm like, oh God, like, I don't know. <laughs> but then I was like, I pretty know my Justice I know pretty much of the Justice League. <laughs> <laughs> well, you absolutely did it. It was, so much fun to get into guys we hope you enjoyed listening to thank you for sticking around if you enjoyed this please subscribe give us five stars it helps us out so much and as always we have a patreon now with uh, even more new content so please uh, join there it helps us keep the show running and uh, we hope you'll join us again next week because we'll be right back here when i'll see you next week bye bye